Retired U.S. Army General Greg Martin, today's guest, has become an advocate for mental health awareness since he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He knows firsthand the effectiveness of treatments that enable people to be fully engaged in life. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. General, uh, I'm so thrilled, grateful, and honored to have you on the show. I really appreciate your willingness to come and visit with me today. Thank you. You're welcome. It's really my privilege and a great honor to be with you. Thanks, Devin. Well, you have had uh, an extraordinary military career. I appreciate your uh, offline invitation for me to call you Greg. I, I I'm grateful for that, Greg. It's but you uh, have have had just an extraordinary career uh, in the military. W- would you just recap that for us? I, I can't do it justice. Sure, I'll I'll try to be brief and cover about, about forty years. Um, yeah. After Heights, I always had a propensity to serve in the military. My dad was a World War II vet in the Navy, and I had a bunch of uncles who had served. And so it was just um, part of my assumption that at some point I would serve in some branch of the military. I went away to college, University of Maine, after high school, and I was not involved in the military, but there was an extracurricular club that I wanted to join called the Ranger Club. And it was outdoor adventure activity, mountain climbing, whitewater rafting, things like that. And I said, okay, I want to join. And they said, all right, you can join, but you have to join Army ROTC in order to be in the club. I said, okay, what, what's Army ROTC? They said, oh, it's just an elective course. You meet once a week. It's, you know, we give you a uniform and, and you do some military stuff. So I said, okay. And uh, I liked ROTC. It was, uh, it was a good course. I liked the instructors. I liked the, the people who were in it. And so I did that, plus the adventure club with the ranger training and all that. And along the journey, I said, I got encouraged to apply to the service academies And so I applied to West Point Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, Coast Guard, and West Point accepted me. And so I looked at it and I said, wow, this is a really famous school, great education, all kinds of distinguished alumni. So I said, yes. And I went. And of course, you get a full scholarship and you even get a small salary while you're there. And so I did really well at West Point. And then I graduated, went out into the active army, the field army, and I just loved it. I went to airborne school to be a paratrooper, went to ranger school. So I was qualified to to, to do the commando special forces stuff. And then I was a platoon leader over in Germany during the Cold War. And I fell in love with the soldiers. It was the beginning of the all volunteer force. So there were, I mean, it was the aftermath of Vietnam. The army was a pretty rough place. There was a lot of drugs. Uh, There were racial problems. We had convicted felons who were given the option to come into the military because they couldn't meet the quotas of recruiting. And I just loved it, though. It was real. It was hard. It was dirty. We had an exciting, challenging mission. And I just loved, you know, leading the troops. And so the Army's got this really good program where when they identify somebody who's performing at a high level and they think has... Um, high level potentials, you know, to go on and be a strategic senior leader, 
they entice you to stay in with all kinds of great assignments, advanced civil schooling, you know, so they sent me to grad school um, and all kinds of other incentives to stay in. And so over the course, year after year, assignment after assignment, you know, good deal after good deal, before you knew it, I was a two-star general and I had 36 years active duty in the army. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it culminated with you leading the uh, uh, military university. What was, what, what was the university called there? The, it's that called you were the, running? It was called the, the National Defense University, which is the, you know, sort of the premier school in the Department of Defense, working for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense. And it's a base, it may, it's made up of five colleges, and it's a graduate school for senior leaders from the military, State Department, intelligence agencies, and so forth, to go back to school at the graduate level for a year and get a advanced degree in strategic studies, international uh, security, that sort of thing. Yeah, fantastic. And I guess this is where we, we can transition a little bit to uh, part of the reason you're on the show today, which is to talk about your your new book. And I think you have finished writing the book, but it w- won't be published for a while. But uh, tell it, your, your book, I think, is called uh, uh, Bipolar General. Is it Bipolar General? Is that what the book yes. is called? Yes. Yeah. So it's sort of a memoir of your your experience with um, uh, by being bipolar. And so tell us a little bit about the book and how you transitioned out of the military. So I decided to write the book during my recovery from a severe bipolar crisis that lasted years. And uh, so six years ago, I got stabilized on lithium and therapy and, you know, and other elements to stabilize my brain and to give me a healthy life and to start climbing out of the bipolar pit and put my life back together. And so a couple of years into this recovery, that's six years long now, I said, you know, I I need to tell my story. And I was telling it in very small, localized micro groups. And what I found out, it was that I have a license plate that says disabled veteran. And wherever I would go and people would be walking with me or I'd be getting into my car, they'd see the plate and they'd say, well, you know, what's your disability? I'd say, well, I have a brain thing. And they would stop and say, well, I have a brain thing too. You know, what's your brain thing? I'd say bipolar disorder and some PTSD, but mostly bipolar. They'd say, wow, um, you know, I have been suffering with depression for years, or my husband or wife has bipolar disorder, or, or their you know, one of their children or a friend or a colleague or what have you. So as I told my story in short to dozens and dozens of people here in Cocoa Beach, 100% of the people either are afflicted by some sort of mental condition or are affected by it by virtue of their relationship with somebody else. So it's 100%. And yeah. I, t- I must have told my story, you know, a few dozen times and every person said, wow, you should, you know, you should tell this story more often and you should write an article or write a book. So I said, I started thinking about it. And then at a certain point of two or three years ago, I got inspired to write a book. And it took me about a year of pretty intense um, 
focus to write the manuscript, which came in at about 160,000 words, which is about twice as long as it needs to be for a book that's going to actually be published. Um, And so I wrote the manuscript and started shopping it around with some big publishers, and I really didn't get anywhere. And more recently, I went to some smaller ones in a very, um, very excellent uh, publisher that is small called the Naval Institute uh, publisher, they read it and they loved it. And they said, we want to publish your manuscript. And this is fantastic. And so I'm working with them now to get it published. And as well, I sent it to the uh, Association of the United States Army, um, which don't have, they don't have a publishing arm, but they do have a book program and they help you get published. And say, they said, we love your book. And congratulations that the Navy is publishing it. We want to put it on our official book list official program and endorse it with the stamp of the U.S. Army. So that's so it's so I'm really thrilled that the book has, you know, taken traction after a year and a half of going pretty much nowhere. The book is really a memoir of my life. So it's very heavy on the Army experience because that was my life for my whole adult um, journey. And then it's very heavy into bipolar because as I've somewhat recently discovered, I have actually been living on the bipolar spectrum since I was a teenager. I lived about 30 years with a mental condition, not an illness, but a condition called hyperthymia, which is a near continual state of mild mania. And so it's mm. it, you get an, an extra plus up of the chemicals, dopamine, endorphins, and others that gave me overabundant energy, enthusiasm, drive, creativity, problem-solving skills, positivity, all those positive attributes. And you're, you're really, it's a, it's a benefit if you have it, but the downsize is that it puts you at a higher risk of developing real mania and real bipolar disorder. So from teenage years into my 40s, unbeknownst to me, I was inching ever closer to mania. I had extraordinary success in high school at West Point in my young years in the Army. Um, You know, my service was, you know, very highly rated. I kept getting promoted in bigger jobs. So my service and success from high school through my years as an Army officer were tremendous. But at a certain point, and the the Veterans Affairs and the Department of the Army Medical Board, they pegged it at 2003. I was 47 years old, serving in the Iraq War. They believe that that's when my onset of actual bipolar occurred. And the way they explain it is that I have a genetic predisposition for bipolar. So the gene was sitting dormant in my system. And then the intense stress, euphoria, adrenaline, you know, the thrill of being in battle triggered the gene and I shot into mania. And it was a very high performing mania. I felt like Superman. All those attributes I talked about a minute ago with hyperthermia, they went up. So I was literally like I was a colonel, brigade commander, leading thousands of troops in combat. And I was a superstar. I felt phenomenal. I didn't need any sleep. I could anticipate and see and solve problems on the battlefield before anybody else recognized there was even a problem to be solved. I'd already have the solutions. It'd be moving to the next thing. And so my whole year in Iraq was sort of like that. 
Um, I didn't find out until 11 years later when my I had gone into full-blown mania that I had, had been bipolar for those 11 years. Um, so from Iraq in 03, over the next 11 years, my bipolar dis disorder was unknown, undetected, unrecognized, undiagnosed. But I kept going into higher levels of mania, lower levels of depression. Then I started developing psychosis, which is a combination of delusions. And mine were mostly paranoid delusions that people were out to get me. And then hallucinations, which are just seeing things that aren't real. And that went on for 11 years until 2014, when I was at the National Defense University, I essentially rocketed into full-blown mania. I went into a state of madness, insanity. I was over the top, off the rails. I was talking faster and faster. I was out of control. I had these grandiose visions that I was, you know, on a mission from God. I had all kinds of religious visions with the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul and speaking in tongues. I mean, going to, you know, 20, 30 religious events per week. I mean, I was really out of control. Um, I had hallucinations that when I would ride through my bike through D.C. at night, I would lift up off the ground and I would be flying on my bicycle over and through the monuments in D.C. Um, my flight of ideas got more and more intense where I got, you know, just in my idea, they were brilliant ideas, you know, but they came so fast, so furious. I didn't even have time to explain them. And then I'd have another great idea. So my poor subordinates, the people who are working for me, I mean, there's no way any human could keep up with the madness that was going on in my brain. And so it led to, you know, sort of a rebellion on the staff and the faculty at the university. And it's really hard to have that difficult talk with the boss, who's a general, to say, hey, General Martin, we think you have lost it and you have some sort of mental illness. But what they did, which was equally as effective, is they started writing um, anonymous complaints to my boss, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And after he got you know, dozens of these, he did a series of assessments that came to the conclusion that I needed to go. He didn't know what the problem was, but he knew there was a serious problem that was hurting his university, and that was really undermining confidence in me. And the chairman, General Dempsey, he I'd worked for him four times. We were very good friends, wonderful boss. He made the decision to remove me from command, he gave me the choice, resign or be fired by five o'clock today. And then he gave me a command order to go see a psychiatrist and get an evaluation. Um, Unfortunately, they misdiagnosed me three times that month, July 2014. I was diagnosed fit for duty, nothing wrong, while I was in a raging state of mania. But four months later, after I crashed into crippling depression, um, I was properly diagnosed in November of 2014 with bipolar disorder type 1, which is characterized by mainly high-level mania and very serious depression, um, compared to bipolar 2, which is much lower levels of mania and much more depression. So then I went into bipolar hell with crippling depression, terrifying psychosis. Uh, the, the mania went away. And for two years, I was really in a fight for my life um, until finally September of 2016, I got on the right medications and the right program to begin my journey of recovery. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, it's... Um... It's 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 
it's painful uh, to hear. Um, and I, I can relate. Uh, I, I don't want our conversation to become about me. But at some level, I want you to appreciate uh, that I feel your pain. Um, um, I I started uh, thinking about suicide uh, when I was 20 years old. And it wasn't until I was approaching my 40s that I thought that that might not be normal. I I didn't realize that everybody didn't think about how they would kill themselves uh, all the time. Uh, yet that's what I was doing. Um, and um, so for the last 20 years, I've spent time trying to manage that, uh, overcome that, cope with that. Uh, and uh, over the last year, I have been sort of year, year and a half, I, I've made negative progress, right? Uh, I, I found myself thinking seriously about that and and so i can relate to the, the fact that you know in so many ways my life is good i i it, it it's right it's in there it's not uh it's not a function of good person bad person it's a function of something wrong with a brain and i don't understand it nearly like you're coming to understand your disease but um as you think about now Tell us a little bit about your recovery. You, you've called it your forever recovery. Tell us a little bit about that. So once a person has bipolar disorder, you always have bipolar. I mean, I, I guess, you know, God could, you know, snap his fingers and there'd be a miracle and it would go away. But I don't know of anybody who has had that happen. And so once you have it, it's in your brain, it's inextricably a part of the makeup, the wiring of the brain. So for me, um, like I said, I was in bipolar hell for two years from the fall of 2014 to the fall of 2016. I had terrible suicidal, passive suicidal ideations where I was imagining through delusions, through psychosis, my own violent, bloody, horrible death. And it would continue to go through my mind like a nonstop video reel. And that's very, very serious because as the VA doctors told me, they said a a passive ideation can quickly morph into an active ideation where then you develop a plan and you take your own life. So I also did inpatient uh, at at a VA hospital for weeks I did electroconvulsive therapy. I took, you know, probably 15 or 20 different kinds of medication. None of them really worked. I was a zombie for those two years. I was miserable. I couldn't make a decision. I was confused. Everything I used to love, I didn't care about anymore. I had no relationships with anybody. I'm really fortunate my wife stuck with me. And there was one friend from the army who stuck with me and helped me get into a good VA my life was miserable. Um, my my mind, in addition to visions of my own violent death, um, I, I, had, I continually ruminated and had all these regrets about all the mistakes I had made in my life. And I kept blaming myself for everything. And it wasn't until about two years of this going through hell that finally my wife called my doctor at the VA and said, hey, th- this isn't working we need to do something different. And so we went to the 
to try the medication of lithium, which is a tried and true mood stabilizer for bipolar disorder. But it, the reason we hadn't tried it previously is it comes with a number of downsides that it's, you know, can potentially damage your kidneys, your liver, um, gives you tremors and, and a bunch of other things. And I talked closely with the doctor and we, we kind of replowed the same ground. And I said, hey, doctor, let's do it. I mean, I, I need to try something different. And within after two years of misery and really 2016 to 2003, 13 years of bipolar, um, we, we tried lithium. And within a few days, my depression lifted. It's unbelievable how the difference. And within about a week, I started feeling like my own self, my enthusiasm, my energy, my, my you know, zest for life came back. And my wife and I made a decision kind of strategically that we were going to move somewhere that had abundant light, sunshine, warm weather. So we moved to Florida, took a chance, moved to Cocoa Beach, didn't know anyone, but we've loved it. It was a great decision. And the recovery process is I think number one, you have to get the biochemistry of the brain in balance and at a healthy state. And for most people that comes through medication. I know there are some people who advocate, you know, herbal remedies and holistic approach and things like that. And that's wonderful. If that works for you, good, go for it. For me, I, I, I trust more in the medication in, in the lithium and other medications are working for me. So you have to get that right. Um, number two, you have to work with the rest of your m medical team, which should for bipolar and depression and other mental conditions probably should include a therapist. So I've got a psychiatrist who does the medication. I've got a uh, therapist. I just met with my therapist this morning um, and they help you problem solve and think your way through issues that are complicated and challenging. Thirdly, you have to live a healthful life. And everybody knows about that. But I mean, there's brain healthy diets. You need plenty of sleep, you know, eight hours a day, probably should take a nap, plenty of water, lots of exercise, reduce your stress, figure out how to meditate. So you need those healthy living things. And I think reducing and avoiding stress is a huge part of it. Um, and then that's kind of takes care of the physical aspects of your brain health. And that's necessary, but not sufficient. To build a recovery that's built to last, I think you have to anchor it into what I call a social platform of the five Ps. And the Ps are, first is people. Developing a network of people who make you happy, energize you, are fun to be with. So my wife and I have done that in Cocoa Beach. You need to pick a good place that makes you happy, that's safe, that enables you to do the things that inspire you, and again, bring joy. So people, place, then purpose. You have to have a purpose. For me, as an Army guy, the first question you ask as an Army officer, wherever you walk into, it's like, okay, what's the mission? What's the mission? What are we doing to achieve the mission? And that's basically your purpose. And so for me, my mission has become sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma and save lives. And I focus on stigma because stigma is the single biggest, most powerful barrier that keeps people from getting the medical help and the professional treatment they need to be healthy. So those are the first three Ps, but there's, there's two others. One is perseverance. And the idea of perseverance, you have to have the will to succeed, to not give up. 
recovery from a serious mental illness like depression or bipolar is not easy. It's hard. And there are going to be relapses and, and you're going to stumble and fall. And then you have to, between yourself and your team, you have to be able to pick yourself up and learn from it and keep moving forward. Um, and then the fifth P is what I call presence. And it's kind of a, this, it's this idea of being able to get outside of your own head. Don't be a prisoner of your own thinking and prejudices and possibly um, inaccurate thinking. So be able to get outside your own head, take a deep breath, think about your own thinking and develop a perspective that helps you to go on in a healthy um, manner. So the five Ps, so healthful living and then people, place, purpose, perseverance, and presence. That's the key to, I think, the key to um, recovery. And I actually wrote a, I got an article published in Psychiatric Times that basically lays that out. And um, and it, it never ends. It's a, you know, a forever recovery, or, you know, to use the, the military metaphor, it's a forever war. It's one of these wars that you get yourself into, and you can't really ever get out of it. It may change and morph, but it's it's still the war with bipolar. Yeah, I I can't tell you how much your message resonates. You know, you talk about recovery requiring that healthy living and the five P's. Uh, just it just resonates so thoroughly as being right and helpful and good and true. And uh, I'm I'm kind of. I hadn't been quite as organized around doing those things, trying to to do that to improve my mental health situation. So I appreciate you sharing that and being so uh, sort of ahead of me on the curve and being able to bring that insight. Um, You've had an extraordinary career and uh, your new career as a mental health advocate, uh, as an author, uh, as a speaker. so important, so valuable, and it's exciting to see your success in this new role. I've read some of what you've written for Psychology Today. I mean, you're, you are becoming a genuine authority on mental health uh, and what a valuable perspective you bring. As you think about all of that, all that you've accomplished, uh, including especially uh, since your recovery began, um, what do you see as your superpower? I've got a, a few. Um, first off, I've always had the superpower to accomplish hard things, you know, really hard, challenging things. I mean, I was able to do it in high school with sports and leadership, then at West Point, and then for, you know, decades out in the Army, um, you know, just having the motivation, the perseverance, the willpower to, you know, fight through adversity and challenge and achieve important things. And whether it was, you know, making it through West Point, you know, graduating from Army Ranger School, uh, running marathons, uh, graduating, getting advanced degrees from MIT. I think that's a big superpower for me. Um, I think, you know, going back to the five Ps, I've had kind of an innate ability to um, always be able to develop really positive 
productive, fun relationships with people, whether again, high school, college, out in the army, now in Cocoa Beach with my, my gym, my gym friends and my dancing friends, um, you know, being able to connect with people, become friends. My wife and I have a, a slogan. We try to make a friend and be a friend every day, you know, meet somebody new, say hello, and then develop a deeper relationship with somebody we're already friends with. But I think this ability to network and connect with people is a superpower and it gives me strength. And then I'm really happy that other people kind of feed off of me and my energy. Um, I think the idea, another superpower is this idea of purpose or mission. Being able to figure out, okay, you know, who am I? Where am I? What's the situation? And my situation today with a bipolar purpose is way different than it was as an army officer leading soldiers in war. But I have an ability to figure out and focus and craft out an important, challenging mission that I can throw myself all in and make and make a difference. And then, you know, to continue to persevere with it, um, you know, having gone from, you know, being not much of an author or a speaker to now, as you said, I mean, I've given, I've written, published about 20 articles and have done, you know, dozens of talks with all of that. And I think the, the bipolar has really humbled me, you know, so I went from being in believing I was Superman and part of that being fueled by mania. Um, and I got, I crashed hard. I mean, I went into crisis. My life went into the disaster mode and I was, I'm thankful I was able to climb out of the pit and recover. And I'm on a journey of recovery, but I've really built a new life, which I'm very, very thankful for. I'm thankful to my friends, my wife, God, everything. But it's given me a, a humility and a compassion to have been crushed and brought down so low and having had, you know, suicidal ideations to where the VA hospitalized me and they gave me electroconvulsive shock therapy and you know that I wanted for two years every night I'd go to bed I wanted to die I didn't want to wake up in the morning and I thought it would be better for my wife and me and my family I mean that's pretty humbling and to be where I am now is really exhilarating but it's given me a deep sense of humility and compassion for other people, particularly those who are struggling with some sort of, you know, mental illness. Um, and then I guess the last thing, is, and it ties into that, is just this desire to serve a greater cause. And it ties to mission and purpose, but being able to figure out how to serve a cause greater than self that will um, help and support other people. Yeah, that's a powerful quote portfolio of superpowers. And I, I'm grateful that you would share all that. Uh, Greg, it's just been a, a true pleasure uh, to visit with you. I'm so grateful. I, I, I think about the insights, uh, the value you bring to me personally. Uh, it's incredible. I, I am certain that there are others uh, that will benefit from uh, our conversation as um I've had so many people reach out to me. You, you, you made the point that 100% of people either experience or are connected closely to someone who experiences a mental health problem. 
uh, yeah, uh, there, there is a tremendous need for your insights. And so I'm grateful that you'd come on the show and talk about it. Um, before we go, would you take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about you and your speaking, your book, your publications? Uh, I don't want people to to leave here without knowing how to use you as a proper resource. Sure, and thanks thanks for that opportunity. Um, you know, you heard what my mission is, sharing my bipolar story. I mean, that's what I do. This is my purpose. It's I'm retired from the Army, but it's my full-time job. Um, if you would like to get a hold of me or read any of my articles or listen to any of my talks or podcasts, I've got a website. It's www.generalgregmartin.com. And that's General and then G-R-E-G-G-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. So it's all one word. Um, and you can reach me by email on that website. So feel free to send me an email. Um, if you send me an email, I'll answer it. We'll get into an email discussion if you'd like. I'd be happy to follow it up uh, you know, with a phone call or a Zoom. Um, if you're interested in having me speak, you know, just get a hold of me and we'll we'll work out a time and a place, a date. And um my my articles, most of them are on the website. And I've been, I'm a regular blogger on psychology today. So there's I think I've got seven blogs on psychology today. I've got more on the International Bipolar Foundation. They've got a, a, a blog site called uh, General Greg's Corner. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of material. Uh, my book, which is called uh, The Bi Bipolar General, um, My Forever War with Mental Illness, you know, that should be published in about a year and a half through the Naval Institute Press. So those are some ways to get a hold of me, and I'd love to continue the dialogue. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. We're so grateful, and we wish you every success in your personal recovery and with your incredible, admirable efforts to help other people uh, in their recovery journeys as well. Uh, kudos and, and best wishes to you. Thanks, Devin. It's been wonderful talking with you. I wish you all the best. And it's been an honor and a privilege to, to be on uh, the show. All righty. Let's do some good. Yes, sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.